Arts, Lifestyle, SNS Online. I'm going to co-star with Marlon Brando. And she said, oh, darling, how lovely, Brandy Marlow. I must tell Auntie Molly. <laughs> Never heard of him. At lunch, Ian McShane, John Hurt. I said to Ian McShane, what's a gynaecologist? <laughs> and he goes, I know what that is. You know when you have ordnance survey maps and they stick little flags in, that's a gynaecologist. What's your sort of preferred go-to space? Is it theatre or TV, or, or do you not have a I, don't, I, I think it's really usually the, the favoured go-to space is really the writing. She read my play, um, told me what was wrong with it, because she was brilliant like that, um, and then said, do you need to go and work with uh, Akebourne? And Alan said to me, Peggy tells me you can write. Would you write me a play? Our impression of the suffragettes, I think, has been skewed by these photographs because press photographers always pick the prettiest girl, prettiest woman, best frock. And I think a lot of people have been misguided in thinking the suffragettes were just middle-class women kind of messing about at politics. I think all good actors are trying to shine a light on what it means to be human, mm. you know, and to look at human behaviour and, and to look at contradiction. I also think sometimes you can get away with doing more with comedy than you can with drama. You know, because if an audience is laughing, then they're listening. Growing up, I was starved of any representation in, in books, and I would find my sort of characters I could identify with wherever where I could find them. So, you know, I'd read Stephen King or I'd read whoever, and I would find other ways of relating to characters, but I, I didn't really know that there was such a thing as gay literature or, or gay books. The thing was, there was such an emphasis on, like, medication in the hospital. You know, the, the doctors and, and the nurses, when I said that I felt suicidal, and they would react straight away and, you know, I'll oh, take this medication and... and kind of go into this uh, panic. Very little kind of uh, talking about what was really going on. It was just like, you're ill, you're really ill, and you've got to take this, th these medications, and we don't know what's going to happen to you, and that's it. Are you enjoying now far more than you were enjoying the height of your success? No, because at the height of my success, I was on private jets and limousines and I wouldn't be stuck in a pub with the likes of you. <laughs> well, that's charming, that is. So I had the children in 1978. They were slightly um, premature. <laughs> slightly. <laughs> Sneeze and they were there. Britt Eklund turned and gave me a smile such as you have never seen. I got this wonderful, utter, total attention until she realised I was absolutely no use to her whatsoever and it was all turned off as though the light was... Oh, did make me laugh. How much can you tell us about Mary Poppins and uh, can you succumb to tickling or bribery? Um, neither, because otherwise I'll just get a huge smack bottom from Disney. Now, as your voice is your instrument, how do you care for it? How do you care for your voice on a daily basis? And do, do you restrict the amount of shows that you do for that very reason? I think as long as you have a good bass technique, you can kind of sing... As much as you as much as you like or need to, as okay. long as you're singing always on the breath, so there's a movement of the breath and the body is engaged in the singing. It just doesn't happen only from the throat. Um, I guess in terms of voice or vocal care, then I I wouldn't go to a loud concert or or a night out and be shouting over the music and things like that <laughs> in the week leading up to a concert. No, no, perhaps um, not. <laughs> or have twenty no, woodbines. <laughs> and then the door opened, and I went. Blimey, you're Shelley Winters. And she said, and who are you? And I said, I'm Derry Foles. And she put her tongue right down my throat. <laughs> I never saw her again the rest of the evening. We, the jury, find a defendant 
on the charge of receiving, and then when his almighty paws seemed like an hour. Uh, Not guilty. Yes! Oh, Jesus. I've gripped, I've gripped <laughs> the brass rail. The judge's face was absolutely puce. I love it. It was as red as a beetroot. You beat he the system. He was so angry, obviously. Now, you have to understand, never in the history of the BBC had there ever been such a thing as a pilot episode. Uh, we didn't do things like that. They, they did that in America, but not here. So to get the chance to do it again was unbelievable. Ah, so you're not dead. Oh, no, I didn't die. No. So you could come back? Mm, I could, I suppose, but I'm not sure if that's likely. But you never know. OK, OK. Well, you know, watch the space, as they say. <laughs> Keep tuning into farm. I mean, never though. <laughs> There's a huge campaign at the moment about representation of older women in particular on screen because uh, we've got a long way to go with that. Mm. You know, it seems to me that, generally speaking, it's either a very sort of elegant, Hampstead-dwelling idea of ageing or it's a working-class care home with dementia. Mm. Um, Dribbling. A lot of people don't realise that acting is our first nature. You know, the moment we're born, often the first thing we do is play peekaboo, you know, with our parents. After a while, we start to enjoy the, the feeling of abandonment because they're going to pop up again and say peekaboo. And then from there, we, we develop, you know, things like now you see me, now you don't. And then we start doing hide and seek. And then we start involving other people. And then lo and behold, as kids, we're playing and we're suspending our disbelief and we're using our imagination. And it's our first nature because that's how we learn. Mm -hmm. We learn from observation. We learn that when someone scuffs their knee, um, that, oh, I'll act like my mum does when I scuff my knee. So we start invoking characters. We become the mother. We become the bully. We become the father figure. We become lots of different things. And that's how human beings grow up. I thought to myself, well, if this is a twice-weekly programme uh, and going on throughout the year, um, I should be editor. Mm. So Qu Quite right, too. So I gave myself the, the job, as it were, mm. and had it um, on the credits... And nobody queried it. It was extraordinary. I interviewed on the same day Idi Amin, the dictator from Uganda, and Harold Pinto. Difficult for me to say who was most difficult and intimidating of <laughs> the two of them. Well, I mean, were you in the same room as these people? I was in the same room as Harold Pinto. I oh. wasn't necessarily in, but I, I collected them. That's probably the and best then put choice them together that would say. Yeah, Harold always was, but we became good friends over the years, yeah. and I didn't continue my relationship with Idi Amin, I can tell you that. <laughs> the worst people to interview, if you're a presenter, is another presenter. Because you're then thinking, I know what they're thinking, and you're both playing a kind of strange game. And it's very difficult to play a game with somebody who's also playing a game, and you don't quite know what game they're playing, but you hope that it's sort of on the same court. I read an article recently in The Guardian, and it was about Blue Peter, and it was about me flying a hot air balloon in the Arctic Circle across a frozen lake in Finland. And I thought, I even read it and thought, wow, that sounds amazing. And then I was like, Wait, no, I did that. That was, my, <laughs> that was my challenge. Do you think that you were the embodiment of, like, quote-unquote, girl power way before it was seen as a thing? I mean, very ahead of the curve. But because you were so totally authentic, you were just getting on with it. It was way ahead of traditional women's lib, in a way. I get asked this a lot. It's only since making my documentary and watching it with an audience that I realise I didn't know what I was doing. I can't pretend I did. I was simply being uncompromising to changing anything about myself and I'm still the same now. 
Do you at all regret outing Rock Hudson towards the end of his life? I know a newspaper guy came to you and asked, um, simply based on the fact that he hadn't gone out of his way to hurt anybody in the LGBTQ community. Would it be possibly better to have tried to persuade the man himself that he would feel so much better by coming out rather than making that decision for him? Uh, I did try to persuade him, okay. and he wasn't sick early on when I first met him. And uh, we talked about it, and his husband, his partner at the time, said, not until my mother's dead. <laughs> Which I thought was such an odd thing to say, because if I was fucking Rock Hudson, I'd want my mother to know. In fact, I did tell my mother at one point. <laughs> did you? What'd she say? Was she impressed? No. <laughs> <laughs> There's a big thing these days, I'll just say to this, where people say, I'm just telling the truth. Yeah. No, darling, it's your truth. Mm, yeah. mm. And what we're seeing <laughs> now is we are asked to form opinions. And I know with opinions, I look at it this way. Is it true? Well, that's impossible these days, isn't it? Is yeah. it true? Well, who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Um, do I need to say it? Yeah. And is it kind? Are you religious at all? Not even slightly. <laughs> Have been, but something happened to make me a little bit sceptical about all the various answers to the questions we pose about what life is about and how it started and when will the world end and what happens after death. And I, I couldn't find any answers to that. I once went on to a program and next to me there was a um, quite uh, fanatical Islamist and in the audience there was an equally fanatical Zionist and they started to get at each other. And after a while... I was asked my view, and I said, thinking people were going to throw things at me, if I were God, I think I'd ban religion. And I got a round of applause. I think a lot of people feel that way. You know, whether or not you have faith, what is happening in the name of faith is sometimes really evil. Lots of memories, all this time. Bush House, of course, let's yes. talk about that. Yes, yes, an incredible building. And my department insisted that uh, we should sleep there overnight. The shifts uh, encompassed a break in them overnight, uh, four or five hours of nothing. What on earth are you meant to do? Well, they provided some beds um, in very inappropriate places. It was a good idea to provide the bed, but actually must also provide the conditions in which to sleep in it, which they did not. Um, and they were in terribly cold rooms always very uncomfortable, or they were in the dormitory. <gasps> what a horrendous experience the dormitory was. It was like a hospital ward with individual cubicles with curtains oh around each God. bed, and a lady came and woke you up when it was your time <laughs> and shone a torch in your eye. It wasn't her fault she was told to do this. Dreadful. Didn't she sort of shake your foot violently she or something? She your foot to start with to wake you up and then blinded you with your torch. <laughs> OK, Alex, I have noticed, as a strolling player as you clearly are, you brought your guitar with you. Um, tonight. I, I did bring my guitar. Are you going to give us a little ditty? I've got a theory that I'm in love. I have this heart, it beats for you. This mind, it's thinking of you most of the time. The sound of a choir filled my empty ears. This is a love that's true. Hot ginger and a dynamite. Why I drink nothing but that each night? Backy like a sack with the fellas to backy and the women wicky wacky woo. Oh man, how they entertain! I mean, they hurry a hurricane. Backy like a sack with the fellas to backy and the women wicky wacky woo. And then I got to the seventeenth floor, mm -hmm. and 
And you managed to get in through an open window. Yep, and I knew which door their suite was because there was a guard outside. Right. And he was drinking a coffee and I waited until he had a call of nature. Yes. And the moment he slipped away, I ran, you know, slipped in and knocked on the door and to my amazement, Yoko answered. And I just said, please, can I have an interview for my school paper? And she said, yes. (laughs) And... She invited me in and suddenly I'm face to face with John Lennon. Okay, Toby, we're going to do a Doctor Who mastermind for you. Are you up for the challenge? Yes, I have to say, because people say that I'm this expert on Doctor Who, I've never said I am. Finish the quote. I'm tired of being an outsider, Doctor. Um, I'll give you a clue. It didn't go well. I want to go home? Um... I want to go back to my own people. Okay, we'll give you that. We'll give oh, you that. Oh, it's Romana, isn't it? No, 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 no it was it was Adric. Adric. Oh, yes. Who composed March? I'll start this. I'll finish. Who composed March of the Women? Ethel Smythe. Correct. Who wrote stage rights and is also appearing on SNS Online today? Naomi Paxton. Yeah! <laughs> you. Me, sir. Yes, you. Who else is there? You down there, boy. What, me, sir? But I'm just a poor Dickensian orphan from Penny Farthing Lane, sir. Strike a light in the year of our Lord 1800 and twiddly too, sir. If my name's not Van Dyke's dick, sir. Yes, we get the idea. Don't milk it, love. Ah, so here's one. Go on, then. Um, Michel Hussain, that marvellous presenter that is at the BBC, I am quoted in her book. <gasps> She's written a book called Skills. And probably the thing that thrilled me most more than anything this year is I went to the launch of the book where not only was I the smallest, but I was also probably the least famous person in the room. It was just kind of (laughs) politicians, the top brass at the BBC and me. And she name checked (gasps) me. Oh, that's wonderful. And I was standing next to Claire Balding at the time and I nudged Claire Balding in the room. I went, went, that's me. That's me. (laughs) What, sir? Begging your pardon, sir. But it's Christmas Day, sir. All day, sir. Christmas Day? Yes, sir. And me and my 245 brothers and sisters haven't eaten for five years, sir. And I'd do almost anything for a thrapney farthing grotchet bit, Your Honour. Yes, well, we can discuss that later. So that's probably the most exciting thing in a pink book called The Skills, which is actually a very good book as well. Uh, About skills? About skills. Is it like holding your breath underwater and stuff like that? Because Michelle Hussain would be famous for that, wouldn't she? (laughs) Stand-up comedy meets Alzheimer's and the upside of Hit Me. (laughs) <laughs> what a what a uh, what do they call it in America? The elevator pitch. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I suppose like, every so every comedian probably wants to write the show for Edinburgh that's a bit miserable. Okay, <laughs> because it just it just connects with what's on the inside of you. Try and make a joke about the thing that upsets you. Celebrating fifteen years of shows, ten as a podcast. You're listening to SNS Online, presented as always by Nick Randall. Okay, so we'll have a lovely introduction, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, react, react, react. And, um, okay. I think you should, I dare you to keep that. Well, <laughs> I'll leave it at the end or something like that. Okay. Uh, right. Right.